Hello, you're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insight. In this episode, our guest is Colin Rush, Managing Director, Senior Research Analyst, and Head of Oppenheimer's Sustainable Growth and Resource Optimization Franchise. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking of Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on May 6th. 2023. Thank you for joining us. And welcome to our episode called Charging Ahead, the EV Revolution. Here, we're going to talk about electric vehicles and everything you need to know about going electric. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're here with Colin Rush, a familiar voice on the Let's Talk Future podcast. Colin is the Managing Director, Senior Research Analyst, and Head of Oppenheimer's Sustainable Growth and Resource Optimization Franchise. Now, at a time when the average age of vehicles on the road is 12 and a half years, which is a record high, consumers are grappling with decisions. Do you keep your existing car given cost and supply constraints, or do you make a change? And if you make a change, do you go electric? Here, we're going to look at the factors to consider in going electric. Pricing, availability, charging requirements and concerns, who do you buy from? And of course, because we always do, we'll discuss the investment implications and opportunities and which companies you need to know about. So with all of that, hello, Colin. Hey, Jane. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. All right. Well, let's start with current events because you're just coming off a bunch of big earnings reports. How did it all go? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting time uh, from an analytical perspective to look at the, the driving forces here around the Fed working on rates, trying to figure out inflation, what that means for consumers and how consumer behavior is trending. And then for us with a lot of a lot of our companies, you know, trying to go through a, a technology transition uh, in an effective way and an evolving policy environment. And so what we found was a lot of dislocation, you know, both up and down with the stocks. We had some outsized moves through earnings. But this has been pretty, you know, pretty normal for us as we go through transition periods with with companies that are going through policy changes and technology changes. And so it's um, net net what we're seeing with the, the stocks is demand is holding up for all of these products and uh, the zero emissions economy is moving forward. Liquidity in the space is, even with tightening credit conditions, is still widely available. And the cost of capital uh, hasn't really been bothered too much. We're still seeing, you know, kind of SOFR plus 180 to 220 is kind of a standard, you know, cost of capital for anything related to renewables. And uh, we're seeing the technology transition happen at the the rate that you would normally expect. Um, you know, and EVs is one area where you know, it's hard to make these cars. It's a it's a full technology transition to to make a different car with a different a different foundation, and it's as much a software issue as it is an assembly issue uh, for a lot of these OEMs. And that's you know one of the things that we have in the the 
front of our minds. We're also seeing, you know, a fundamental change in the materials that are used for the economy, you know, going from liquid and, and gaseous fuels to, you know, basically metal-based fuels. Um, as we move into battery-based economy, uh, you know, the mining practices, which are, you know, reasonably mature, but actually really difficult, particularly with lithium. Lithium is a, a very hard material to, to work with. It's very dangerous and yields off these mines are disappointing. And so we're seeing some of the, you know, ups and downs of those supply chains as they begin to mature and scale going through some of those fits and starts. And it's, it's going to be a, a fascinating ride up and down. But the net is we've got demand is strong, supply is becoming available in a slow and steady cadence, and we've got a lot of policy support moving forward. And so there's a lot of opportunity on the long side with a number of these names like Albemarle uh, on the lithium side. Certainly on the solar side, we're still very bullish on you know the velocity of demand with names like Enphase. Solar Edge, you know, Sunrun and and First Solar. And then, you know, with the the emerging battery technology with the tightness in the battery supply chain, some of the emerging technology names like Microvast, uh, Novix, and Amprius. Okay. Well, normal is good. So I'm glad to hear that demand is strong and that it wasn't too crazy of an earnings season for you. So let's delve in here. We're talking about the decision for the consumer to go electric. And let's break down some of the considerations, starting with availability. I saw a statistic recently that only 34% of dealers have inventory in electric cars. So I know that this is a big topic, but let's kick off with what's going on with production. Yeah, I mean, there's two basic things that we're looking at. Is one, it's, and we mentioned this, it's harder to make these cars uh, and get them to the standard that the OEMs need them to be at than people have expected. One, it's a, a different set of components in many, many regards. And then getting the operating system to work on these vehicles is a totally different animal. And that's where we're seeing a lot of difficulty is that getting all of the, the assembly pieces into place and then making them all work together is more complicated than a lot of these OEMs have anticipated. And it's a real fundamental change in, in corporate culture in our view. And going from being a safety-driven organization, which most of these companies are by design, into innovation is a it's a, a, a big delta for these companies to, to bridge that gap. And as they move through the transition from a technology perspective, it's very expensive. And we're seeing Tesla take advantage of their first mover position by driving prices lower and making it incredibly expensive for these established OEMs to sell cars because they're making a loss on nearly all of them as they go out the door. And certainly if you start looking at you know depreciation, um, these are loss-making transitions for these organizations, and they're going to be very brutal on balance sheets. So we're seeing that happen. That's number one. And we're starting to see some responses from, from the established OEMs in a couple of regards. One, uh, they're slowing production down a little bit. And so availability is going to be tricky for uh, some of the new vehicles that people have been anticipating. And they're trying to hold up pricing at the same time, right? And so it, that slows demand a little bit for these, these vehicles, just because if you're getting a suboptimal product at a premium price, you know, maybe you think twice about it. That said, consumers want zero emissions vehicles. And we've seen Tesla do a certain amount of damage to the brand through Elon Musk and all of his non-Tesla activity. So folks are looking to other brands to uh, to go towards a zero emissions vehicle. And there's also a fashion element to this. As you look at, you know, what is cool and what's the, the latest, hottest thing, Tesla's getting a little bit old in terms of, you know, some of these vehicles and, and what they can bring to market. They're trying to address that through, you know, upgrades to the software and the self-driving capabilities that they're trying to bring to market. 
but some of the designs and some of the other form factors that we're starting to see in the market, things like Rivian and, and some of the other vehicles that are coming to consumers now are a little bit more attractive for, you know, both the brand reasons and, you know, just the, you know, exclusivity for some of those cars. And so that's what we're seeing right now. And, you know, you and I were talking about this the other day around when's, what's the right time? Like what, what's the decision-making process? And I know for me, I made some decisions in 2020 around buying a, a car that was gently used, shall we say, <laughs> you know, with the idea that it would last for, you know, four, maybe five years. And that at that point, I would make a full transition thinking about what the time cycle looked like for some of uh, these these new vehicles that are coming to market. Yeah, well, and but what we talked about with the average age of vehicles now, and people are extending their life of their existing vehicle, but that's going to all catch up. When you were just talking about the transition and the software that's required and the manufacturing processes that are required, I hate to use baseball analogies because I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, you love it. You know, you love a baseball analogy. <laughs> but if you were going to talk about innings in that kind of process of getting the technology and the systems in place, where do you think we are? I would say the second inning right now. Beginning. In all honesty. The second inning, yeah. We're we're really early days in terms of this technology transition. You know, we're we're still writing, you know, you know, kind of second, third generation software for operating systems, getting, you know, basic materials to the place where they they can scale. You know, the lithium is one issue. Silicon carbide is another issue. It's one of the the key elements for you know components that go into power electronics and help save heat losses from you know transitioning from the battery into uh, into the into the the powertrain and into torque for the vehicles and there's challenges with scaling silicon carbide and so you you have all of those elements where we're going from smaller volumes into you know really large scale global volumes and it's it's a it's a you know transformational piece for the, the broader economy and an order of magnitude change uh, for these supply chains. Right. And so when you look at the current players, and given that we're in the early stages, but consumers do have a menu of choices here, where do you come down on the OEMs versus the startups? I'm reading a lot about the Chinese trying to dominate this market. You know, in terms of the players, How's that looking? Yeah, you know, it's it's an opportunity for some of the established OEMs to accelerate, you know, some market share. And we've seen a couple of interesting things early on in this market. We've really been watching Hyundai and VW as leaders uh, from the established OEMs uh, outside the U.S. and then GM domestically as the the three companies that are really working on this in earnest have started, you know, kind of grounds up approaches to design and and technology. And how they're progressing. We've seen um, Hyundai actually do a pretty nice job on, on, you know, bringing the Kona to market, you know, and leveraging that platform into into other vehicles and doing some learning around how these things get out on the road and behave on the road. VW had a, a terrible time with their software, and that have you know continued to have some glitchy things, but are selling things, but they're just not driving that much volume as much as as you might expect. And GM is, you know, waffling on production schedules right now, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the next generation, now that they've gone through, you know, kind of the initial cycle of producing vehicles, going through that learning cycle, and then bringing newer vehicle designs to market, they're now, you know, having to slow down a little bit, because it's not going quite as as they, they had planned, you know, we expect them to figure that out. But 
this is hard stuff. And, um, and we're seeing that kind of across the board from a company like Toyota, we're seeing them stick with production schedules, but also they, they've been a second mover and also not overly ambitious as they bring EVs to market. And so it's been interesting to see them take that approach as it, you know, relates to the Chinese OEMs, you know, a lot of those, uh, those companies have figured out how to make these cars and drive cost out of this. And it reminds me of some other industries that we've worked with, whether it's solar or LED lighting, where there's a lot more to commoditize in this, right? Like in the, the potential margin structure for uh, these vehicles is structurally different, I think, over time, that there will be a, a period of time where you can drive cost out in, in front of peers, and then there will be a great deal of competition that drives uh, uh, margin out of the out of the vehicle. And that's what Tesla is trying to anticipate, that they move towards getting a large user base and then upgrading to additional services, whether it's insurance or the self-driving piece of this or the other kind of subscription fees that they can potentially gather off the, the consumer base. And so when we look at what's happening in China, there is a, an effort from some of those Chinese OEMs to export vehicles. And, and we saw, you know, historically, you know, Japanese OEMs have a great deal of skepticism and then success, successfully break into these markets. Same thing happened with Korean OEMs. And, you know, the challenge with the China OEMs is just the geopolitical environment that we're in. And so the policy becomes a much bigger player in terms of how you localize supply chains and who can actually participate in those markets. And that's TBD. Right. And it's interesting because so the next kind of factor for a consumer to think about is cost. And so the government has tried to put in place incentives favoring domestic manufacturers. And for the consumer, I guess, thinking about, you know, traditional car versus electric and the costs therein, that's a big part of the decision too, right? For sure. And, and there's a couple of things that we can say definitively here. And we're, we're actually just working on this today as a team. Um, we've been running a total cost of ownership analysis now for a couple of years, where we look at the cost of maintenance and fuel for uh, an internal combustion engine um, based vehicle versus an EV. And then we run sensitivities around electricity prices from region to region. And you know, consistently in the US, over the last two to three years, it's been you know ten to eighteen thousand dollars of cost advantage um, for EVs, even before the the tax credits. And so, if you think about where you know average vehicles are pricing, you know somewhere between forty five and fifty five thousand dollars, and then you layer on that total cost of ownership savings, you know, EVs end up being a pretty compelling you know proposition economically, especially if you layer in that seventy five hundred dollar credit that we're getting from uh, from the federal government at this point. And there's a, a cap on the price that you can uh, you can charge and still get that credit. And so it really is driving that mid-range of vehicles in, in the U.S. market. But we can say very comfortably that EVs are, you know, the best value proposition, except for the low end of the, the vehicle spectrum. You know, the very cheapest vehicles uh, can still drive below an EV uh, total cost of ownership over a seven to 10 year period. It's interesting because all you read about is how high the cost of an electric vehicle is. So you're normalizing the ongoing maintenance, gas costs, all that kind of stuff, and you come up with that significant of an advantage. Yeah, absolutely. So if you if you think about it just logically, you have fewer moving parts in an EV, and so there's less wear and tear. Um, the maintenance is less complicated because you have you're basically running a computer on wheels. And so the, there's a different set of circumstances that you, you really do the maintenance on that. And then the fuel is just structurally 
cheaper. You know, you're using less fuel, and it, it comes at a cheaper price. Uh, and so it's, it's it's not super complicated to get to those numbers. Yeah. You know, for for us, the the upfront cost of the vehicle is something that most folks you know finance. And so when you layer in the cost of financing on this, you know, it it becomes more of a a monthly cost, not dissimilar to how people buy homes. Uh, and you, you look at that and it ends up being over time cheaper to actually, you know, put a deposit down on a car and, and lease it or, you know, pay off that loan. And, and that, that works for folks. Yeah. So, and on the energy cost side of the ledger, I know that for many consumers, the issue of charging is still a little scary. You know, I'm going to get stuck somewhere. And the government is trying to roll out a pretty aggressive plan to have charging stations across the country. So what? where are we there? You know, it's um, it's a good question. And, and we're multiple places on this. Um, so first, you, you have to understand that charging patterns and fueling patterns are different. You know, if you're, if you're looking at having to go to a gas station, most folks charge their cars at, at home at night. And so for most daily use sort of experiences and, and most daily driving, there isn't a real challenge around charging because you have, you're charging at home, you know, and then there is amenity charging at work or, you know, at stores or things like that. But that tends to be a fairly low percentage of the overall charging experience. Where you run into some challenges is over the road, right? If you're doing long road trips. And so that's where, you know, Tesla's done a nice job of opening up their network. You've got a couple of different folks investing in charging networks that are available at you know on freeways and and uh, the highway system, but then maintaining those um, those assets has proven to be cumbersome. And th- there's really only two companies that are doing that well. It's Tesla's main- maintaining their network and also ChargePoint, which has all the software and maintenance in place to support the network of of buyers that have chosen their their hardware uh, to work with them to maintain it. And so. You know, we're, we're at this place where there are resources available, but you have to do a little bit of planning. And that's not necessarily how everybody does uh, drives. You can't necessarily always plan for weather. And, you, you know, the stories around difficulties, you know, get publicized and all the the very successful road trips that have happened in EVs do not necessarily get written up in national publications. And so we're, we're in a place where it's, it's entirely viable uh, to own an EV and do all of your routes. You just need to do a little bit of planning around some of these longer drives. So to return to our sophisticated baseball innings analogy, with the government wanting to put out dollars to have more charging stations, has that money started to go out? Where are we in that process? We are still in, we're in warm-up phase <laughs> on that. You know, that, that money has not started flowing. And, and it's the same thing that we saw in any number of other um, programs where, you know, the, the money was identified in the, in the federal government. Uh, it was set aside. And then, you know, states had to submit their plans to get the funding and they had to start moving forward on those plans. And that just takes time. Anything related to roads, uh, it takes time and a certain amount of planning. And so we're now um, hearing about some of that money beginning to flow. And we've got the support of the IRA related tax credits for charging infrastructure. And so there's you know, the unit economics for owners are, are pretty compelling. Uh, and we're seeing some of that money start to get ready to, to come up. But we're not seeing it really impact demand. What we are seeing on the charging side, drive demand is, is vehicles on the road. So as we see more cars on the road, it tends to be a direct correlation um, with public charging infrastructure. And the buyers that we're seeing are is corporate America. 
you know, it, it costs less than providing coffee to your employees to provide free EV charging and uh, at corporate locations. If you're, you know, a, a retailer, you tend to see consumers spend twice as long in the store, spend three times as much money. And, you know, for something that amounts to two to three percent of the total ticket size for those consumers going into those stores. And so charging ends up being a, a high return on investment for those folks without concerns around utilization on those assets. And so that's been one of the issues for some of these broader networks that are just trying to charge for access to the to the charging resource out, uh, across the road. Okay. So that's all coming to. So all of that being said, let's talk about companies and let's talk about where you think, given where we are in the life cycle of all of these issues, what are the companies that our listeners should be focused on? So, so we've been pushing the lithium thesis really aggressively, and, and, and it's because we think it has some long legs. So Albemarle, ticker ALB, is the, the largest uh, and best lithium miner and refiner in the world. Uh, and what we're seeing is a wholesale switch over in the, the raw materials that are used to support the economy. Right. So if you look at the lead market, 90 plus percent of the lead used in, on, a, on a global basis is recycled. It's been mined and then it gets, goes through a recycling process. We're still building up the, the global stocks of lithium uh, at this point. And it's a difficult material to work with. Uh, yields on most of these sites are challenging and the ramp up is behind schedule because yields are terrible. And Albemarle continues to be really the best of breed in, in ramping mining and refining. Uh, but also they have a very close relationship with the battery manufacturers and the cathode manufacturers. And one of the issues that happens with any natural resource uh, like a mine is the material changes as you get into different parts of the into the mine. And so you have to actually change the refining process on an ongoing basis to meet the very strict battery specs, especially as the battery companies change the specs in their batteries. So there's materials changing and then the use format is changing and you have to be able to you know, modulate your assets along the way. And Elmworld does that you know, just better than anyone else in the world. And so we're tight lithium, it's the long pole in the tent for the supply chain, and there's more technology involved than I think people have given them credit for. So we're seeing that. You know, the, the second piece of this is really, it's tricky on the EV side uh, to get into the supply chain because it's things like silicon carbide, which have been tight and, and challenging. And so the semiconductor piece of this has been an area where there's a lot of innovation and some some slowness. We like what's happening at Wolfspeed, W-O-L-F. We just downgraded them because they were slow on their ramp, but that's because the material is difficult to work with. They have 60% market share on silicon carbide, but that's a, a crucial element to this. And so then we look at um, you know folks like Aptiv, uh, ticker APTV, which is enabling on the software side. And, and that's where I think people can uh, do a little bit more near-term work, you know, because they're both enabling the internal combustion engine legacy uh, business around uh, operating systems and wire harnesses and things like that, but also enabling the transition into EVs and and ultimately um, autonomous vehicles and different levels of autonomy. And so Aptiv is a name that we continue to like here, and it trades with uh, the tier one OEMs the tier one players here. And so it goes up and down with that supply chain, but they continue to, to grow above market on the order of eight, 9% on an annual basis. And so it's a market share gainer and also positioned for a very healthy operating leverage. All right. Well, I think we have covered all of it. Thank you once again for sharing your expertise. We're just going to keep doing this because this is a topic that's not going away. So thank you, Colin. Thanks so much, Jane. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode and remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.